Crystal, I still have more questions for you. I know, I know you shared a bit on your uh, TikTok, but I just want you to uh, maybe mm-hmm. share more to the audiences who have not seen uh, your TikToks. Sure. Um, how do you deal with passive aggressive people, like your colleagues? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> ego, yes. egotistical people, people who are not so um, don't really enjoy feedback. Uh, it's a bit difficult to critique their work. Passive aggressive. Um, they make sarcastic remarks. Right. So yeah. rather than being direct with you, yeah. they actually try to uh, make negative comments through an indirect way or hinting, yes. right? So my number one piece of advice would be you need to call them out on this, on these comments, right? And in a way that is um, from a place of curiosity, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, seriously. So let's say somebody is making like these very passive aggressive comments yeah. like, oh, you know, like, yeah, Crystal would give you this piece of work, yeah, uh, but, but you probably can't do it lah because you're very busy. Yeah, or, you're so busy lah, you, you, you're just using your phone all the time. Yeah, so, so <laughs> now I can either ignore the comment, right? In which case you're just kind of encouraging this yeah. toxic behavior or I can actually call it out, but in a skillful way. So what I would say is that, hey, you know, Tian Hao, I want to, I'm a bit curious about that last <laughs> comment that you made, you know? So call it yeah, yeah you, know, I, you know, because our working relationship is really important for me. And I have always valued and respected that we could be honest and transparent with each other. Yeah. So um, I'm just very curious that when you said, you know, that you you think that I'm really busy and everything. I'm, is there something, is, is there um, something specific that I'm not doing at work, uh, not supporting, that I could support you with more that's leading you to believe that I'm too busy? Because I want to clarify that I always have time for important priorities, something like that, yeah. right? Do, do you feel that perhaps um, often a lot of Singaporeans do not necessarily have that EQ to approach such a civil conversation like this? Yeah, a lot or of times they, they say to me- they reply with another sarcastic remark yeah. or it just becomes co- a cold war. Mm. Yeah, sometimes people say to me like, oh, I don't have all the beautiful words to use. <laughs> yeah, so I think from, okay, if, if you can also put it simpler. It's like, you know, see how, I don't know rightly or wrongly, but I've been sensing in the past week, there seems to me that you've, that you've made a few comments about you know, me not being present or me being too busy. And um, I, uh, when you make these comments, the story I tell myself, rightly or wrongly, is that maybe you think that my heart's not in this job. And I wanted to share, uh, to clear this up, with you and, and see whether is that actually how you feel or am I just like reading the situation wrong? Is there anything I could be doing that, you know, makes you feel more supported in this relationship or whatever it is? So like something simple like that? Yeah. Does does that sound okay to you? I think it sounds I think it sounds okay, but I feel like more I mean in, in my position, of course, most most people won't won't approach me that way. Yeah. 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 But I think to colleagues most likely that should be the that should be the ideal um, outcome for a conversation. I think it's about saying to somebody that, look, I want you to feel supported. And sometimes when I hear these comments, I worry that there's something I'm doing that's creating some unhappiness with you. Yeah, but I'm just saying it takes a lot of self-control to not 
um, let lash. out, yeah, to not yeah, lash yeah, yeah. out in in with certain emotions, you know, and approach it in such a conversation. Or like a calm and more professional manner. Yeah, like yeah. imagine like there's people like talking shit about you, yeah. you know, <laughs> like right in front, and then and then you're so calm to be like, hey, is there? Something I'm just curious. Is there an issue that you have with me? I would say that like you have to take it offline. Like, right. Never when somebody's making passive aggressive comments in front of a large room or whatever other people, you do not address it in front of everyone. Okay, you pull need to them aside. you need to pull them aside and say like, hey, I want to have a discussion with you in a right. private. It has to context. be professional. Has to be you professional, but also this is like because if you do it in front of everyone, they're going to be defensive. Or they're gonna be sarcastic. Or they're gonna make you know because it is a bit sh- yeah. shaming. Oh, it will be more and passive. And they're putting out a performance right? in front of everyone. Yeah, exactly. So one good tip is that um, <laughs> normally when somebody is being passive aggressive, it's normally coming from a place of uh, you know th- somehow they've detected you as a threat. Okay, something you're doing, something you're behaving is making the alarm bell in their brain ring. And they're going like threat, 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 right? So the first thing you would need to do in this conflict situation is pull them aside in a safe environment. So psychological safety, make sure that it's not like somewhere very open, other people can see, but you know, pull them in a small meeting room where it's very private and then say, hey, look, you know, I, I want to discuss, um, you know, um, something that's been on my mind. Um, you know, today morning during a team meeting, you made this specific comment and when you when this comment was made rightly or wrongly, I want to share with you, this is where you don't go on the finger pointing and like you were arrogant, you were wrong, you. But instead, you turn the finger around and you want to say, when you said those words, I felt worried, I felt disappointed, or I felt concerned. Is what is it you feel? Because when you point at them, they're going to be defensive and like, no, I wasn't arrogant. I didn't do that. I, I, I. But when you turn it around and say, my experience of that situation was that I was hurt. I was disappointed. I was whatever. They're not going to be able to argue and say, no, you weren't hurt. No, you weren't disappointed. (laughs) No, you didn't feel that way. I I do have a (laughs) follow-up question from there though. Yes. Like a lot of people, I think generally, like people like myself, Mm -hmm. I feel like if I say the word I too many times, it makes me sound like I'm too Mm self-centered. Like I'm putting my problems upon other people mm-hmm. but would that be like how how do you break through that in a in a scenario like this how do i <clears throat> explain further that you know this is how i'm feeling but i'm not trying to sound like i'm super self-centered can you give me a specific <laughs> okay, example for example right like um Okay, for, okay. Let me just give you. Okay, because this this sounds very similar to like my my marriage preparation course. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna be very frank with you. Mm-hmm, sure. So, uh, uh, um, they they painted a scenario where by like where where mm-hmm. where by like um, 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 they say okay. Uh, here is how I'm feeling when you do this. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like addressing both sides. Mm-hmm. But me as a as a general person, I just not very comfortable with mentioning that. I that I would that that mm-hmm. I feel like this that I'm making you feel like that. Yeah, I think it it, it yeah. feels like I'm trying to make the other person feel guilty for making me feel this way, which is not a hundred percent the intention behind it. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, this is a, like a big thing. Well, I think like in general, Asians are a very collectivistic culture, according to research. Uh, like you know, Asians, Singapore scores twenty out of a hundred on the collect on the individualism scale. U.S. is a ninety out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. So people in the U.S. are much more likely to say, "I, me, myself, and I, I feel, I think." Whereas in Asia, you know, it, it's the same as China. It's like twenty out of hundred. We we all say, echoing what Jian Hao said in the meeting. We all one would feel is. <laughs> Like very indirect yeah, 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 yeah. way of saying things, you know. One yeah, person one body. <laughs> would feel like whatever, and that's fine in a work context generally. But at certain points of time, as a person, you need to advocate for what your you need to take ownership for your views and not be ashamed about that. Right? That's actually part of. Ad- adulting, yeah, <laughs> that's just part of adulting. Is is being able to say that look, when this situation happened, this this behavior happened, the impact that that had on me was this, and the impact I think it had on the team was that, because feedback is always about this is the situation, this is the behavior, this is the impact that from where I'm standing it created, and in future my request is. Whatever it is, those are the four elements of it. This one actually is in my book as well. The the last part of like giving um, of of that process is is by saying you know, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I really care about our relationship. I really care about our working relationship. I really care about our team. I really want, and that's where the the, the intention. Comes in so that it's not just me, myself, and I. This is the bit where you say this is from an intention of me wanting to support you mm. or me caring about our relationship or you know wanting things to work. Okay. Okay. I have yeah. two more questions. Okay. Um, one would be any advice for introverted leaders because mm-hmm. we spoke about introverted mm-hmm. employees, right? Yeah. What about introverted leaders? Yes. So are, <laughs> Why are, you are you are you are you talking yourself? about yourself? Uh, y- yes or no. I think ov- I I am an extreme <laughs> introvert, but over the years I've learned when to step up. What are the uh, key challenges that that introversion tends to cause for you? I just don't want to talk. Uh-huh. I just don't like to talk. You find to talking exhausting. Yeah. yeah. No, I just find facing people's emotions yeah. um, exhausting. Yeah. Like when there are a task at hand, mm-hmm. oftentimes I do not want to be put in a position where I have thirty people in front of me, in front of me, mm-hmm. and I have to individually look at um, their faces and care about what they are, <laughs> what they are feeling at certain points. So it's interesting like, because you're like in the business of communicating to people yeah, yeah. on one level. No, I think I, I think I'm I think <laughs> I'm pre- pretty good at it. Yeah, to you be are. Honest, but it's not necessarily what I like, or it's not necessarily it's not his me. favorite yeah. thing to do. My yeah. my therapist says I like people in theory, not in practice. <laughs> 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 right. Now, I identify one thousand percent with you because in my work as well, every day I'm dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, and and like. After you just feel like this whole empathy deficit, like you've been giving, giving, giving all this life force to everyone, and then you just need some of it for yourself. So, advice for introverted leaders: number one, introverted leaders have a lot of um, advantages as well. There's a lot of research that shows that that introverted leaders are more likely to be creative. And introversion is actually very imp- closely linked to creativity. By the way, um, they are less likely to be influenced by groupthink. 
Yes. Yeah. So this is a really strong advantage, um, and uh, it, it and oftentimes creative work is best done independently, not in a collaborative situation. And there's again very well researched uh, studies on this. So number one piece of advice also, you know, make a list of your strengths that the, the introversion gives you, so that you don't feel bad about being an introvert. Number two, you wanna. Um, make sure that you have proper self-care routine and boundaries because most of the time what makes introverts cranky is that dealing with people takes a lot of life force from them yeah yes. so and so that means that before you can't give from an empty well 100 percent. yeah so if you're not taking care of yourself it's going to impact all your team it's going to make you cranky it's going to make you unreasonable it's going to make you all of that right so introverts really have to know their limits and also put in place a good strategy so if you know that this week while wow, you're doing five public speaking events right then you need to price in in your calendar like all the self-care you're going to do to yin and yang balance out all that energy that you're you're giving so the th um, so second thing is self-care right and making sure that self-care is a freaking priority it is like as important as a business appointment it goes in the calendar yeah and make sure that there's certain like you know boundaries like i'm not going to do three days of whatever in a row if i don't like it i'm going to do maximum two whatever a week whatever those policies are make sure that you have that priced in so that there is a system of taking care of yourself so you won't be cranky okay then the third thing as an introvert is to actually um practice a little bit more empathy and challenging yourselves to have these little empathy uh, mini micro challenges. So for example, when uh, somebody comes into the lift the next time, can you challenge yourself to say hi to them and smile at them? Or when you go and order your Starbucks next time, can you just challenge yourself to say, hey, how's your day to the barista? So like oh, each one of these little human encounters, you're just going to give yourself a little nudge to get out of, uh, to go a little bit more into relationship than you would ordinarily do. And over time, as I always say, it's a training muscle tone. The more you actually get used to kind of like overriding your comfort impulses of just like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, and actually pushing yourself a little bit more in the direction of curiosity and, you know, wondering what's going on for the other person, and the curiosity muscles get activated, the more you know you, you're going to be um, better at connecting to other mm. people. Yeah. Right. So basically, as they say, F around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, on a very conscious level, like many of the introvert CEOs that I work with, they set themselves very specific targets. Like one CEO I know is a CEO of a biopharma company is so introverted. And he said that like, you know, he, if there was a new person on the team, he would just like always just try to kind of like, you know, just hide away or whatever. But he makes it a practice now that every single newcomer to the team, he's going to make sure his secretary schedules a one-on-one -on -one with him and that person. And he has at least 15 minutes, 20 minutes just to welcome that person and all of that. And all of these are like, you know, systems right yeah that we can practice. build in yeah and for us it's like as, as, as introverts because i also identify as an ambivert or introvert it's about making sure that the systems catch you when the motivation is low because right. your motivation is impossible to always be high yeah, motivation 100%. and the research shows this 
a lot of people are like, hey, how do you be motivation high? It's like impossible. Research shows that even within the day, your willpower and motivation goes through a cycle where it's high at certain times, low at certain times, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the research shows that the more important thing than trying to motivate yourself to whatever, be extrovert or whatever it is, the more important thing is actually systems. It's systems rather than motivation. When your motivation is low, how can you build a system that's going to catch you and ensure your discipline to yeah. complete your task. Whether that is making sure your self-care, you get a massage once a week, you, you know, everything's in the calendar. Whether there's a policy when this new person coming, you're going to whatever. Make sure you have systems that are going to catch you. Otherwise, you'll just be like, you know, doing the like path of least resistance. Right. Yeah, that's great advice for introverts. Make sure you have a system. Yeah, because normally introverts are also quite logical. Yeah. So if you give them like systems, they'll be like, okay, this is, this is my system. This makes sense Yeah, for this me. makes sense. It's comfortable. Yes. You have to be quite organized to have a system in place like that, right? Well, you can have uh, somebody like an EA. Oh yeah, just Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Help you get organized as well. Okay, book the massage later. <laughs> I will book your next appointment for our next batch of interviews. Okay, so the, the final question. Uh-huh. You work with a lot of CEOs, right? Uh, yeah. So you know the ins and outs of many companies in Singapore. Mm -hmm. How's a four-day work week looking like? Oh. I was about to ask that question as well. <laughs> no, just uh, in yeah. the next year or two, people yeah. have been talking How about it. The news has been it? sharing. Yeah. For certain, How's it looking? For certain sectors, they're really scared about it because for certain sectors, it's, it's like, like for example, manufacturing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, they just or FMB, how you're going to work remotely sort of thing, right? So I think for those sectors, it will definitely be very hard. Um, but the tech sectors, uh, the ones that uh, already have been implementing three-day, even three-day work, uh, you know, and remote work two days or unlimited leave policies and that sort of startups and tech, I think are more uh, flexible about these sort of things. Um, in Singapore, like, a huge percentage of our population work for SMEs yes. and uh, civil service or public sector. And like, uh, so SMEs, I think, will be a little bit difficult because like you pointed out, it's always like resource constrained. They want to kind of like get the most bang for their buck. And, you know, the SME managers tend to micromanage more uh, than, than, than other uh, companies. But I think what will make the big difference is if public sector comes out and the government's been talking so much about mental health mental health support you know burnout because they can see the stats really are very yeah. scary like my husband's a psychologist right he'll tell you like up to 40 percent of the workforce is experiencing anxiety depression or burnout mm -hmm. it's like 40 percent four out of ten employees have got mental health issues that are serious you know, and concerning right and this is percentage is just rising so at some point of time because singapore government is very pragmatic they're going to look at this and they're going to say, wow, this is impacting productivity. It's impacting turnover and all of this. And, you know, we just can't go on like this. And I think when the public sector or government comes out and says, look, uh, we have to take this mental health seriously and link it not just to like, oh, lunch and learn or yoga budget or whatever, but actually mental health is about having the basic fundamentals, work-life balance, sanity you know like you know being able to work in a way that's actually humane uh and maybe a four day work week comes out of that i i, I think it'll be <laughs> it will be something that's interesting to see but i i do think that certain 
parts, not all, but I think certain parts of public sector are interested yeah. in, in, in that. But if resilience is a muscle that can be trained, then let's say if five-day work week becomes four-day work week, wouldn't muscles be loosened and then these issues start to appear? Like um, these anxiety, burnout within four days and then it would be then it'll be the three days and then you'll just yeah, go, and get lesser and lesser. <laughs> One day work week. Well, life is always a, a balance, right? Yeah. I think currently the it's imbalance? It, it currently <laughs> we are too much into like overworking people already. And I don't think it's sustainable. Currently the mantra in all the corporates is do more with less, do more with less. And they're all saying like, oh okay, you know, well, especially this year, because so many people have been sick. Yeah, so yeah. like any one point of time, like 20% of the team is like <laughs> off, right? And then there's also pe so many people quitting and all of this, right? So every single large corporate that I work with is understaffed, has too little manpower, has 40% too many projects than they sustainably have, and they're just killing the existing workforce and it's resulting in something double-digit turnover rates, right? And when anyone leaves a company, it costs the company about eight to 10 months if indirect and direct costs 10 months of their salary to replace them in terms of like indirect and direct costs. Okay. Yeah, that's how much it costs. So it's actually a real impact if you're going to burn out your staff. Right. So I don't know if it's going to be four day week or four and a half day week or maybe three days in the office, two days flexi work. But I think um, we are right now at the tipping point where the companies and government is realizing that we can't go on with this overwork because it's actually leading to hard profitability impact. We're actually starting to see costs hit the bottom line, safety issues, quality issues in manufacturing, birth fatalities, birth rate, all of this. These are yeah. hard ROI. So, you know, whatever. So last time it used to be like, wow, you know, mental health and, and like all of this is burnout. It's just a soft, soft and fluffy thing. Uh, but now we're seeing it hit the bottom line. And this is where people will wake up. Like that physical changes. impact yeah. of all these yeah. consequences. Would we yeah. need to have a four-day school week <laughs> if we move towards a four-day work week? Um, <laughs> Three-day weekends. Three-day weekends. I mean, the teachers have to work four days as well, right? You know, MOE had this initiative called um, Teach Less, Learn More. Wow. Yeah, some yep. some years ago. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, yep, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, should know. Yeah, you uh, should but know. you know, actually, what would happen was really interesting, right? Typical Singapore style, they're like, okay, we're going to reduce the teaching hours because, you know, kids and teachers do stress out, right? What actually happened? The hours were reduced, but the curriculum stayed the same. So, and now people had to cram so much into so little teaching hours that what happened is that the tuition industry had a renaissance. <laughs> all everybody was like, you know, booking tuition and the, the to kids took over. Yeah. Yeah. More homework. Yeah, more, more homework and more, you know, and of course the lower income kids lost out because they couldn't oh, afford right. the tuition. And now you still have the same curriculum. So Singapore, like, you know, in one way, it's like you can't have your cake and eat it. If you already want four-day work week, are you comfortable with four-day results, you know, productivity? If you really want to teach less, are we really going to be okay with cutting down the curriculum by 20%? But you cannot say do less, do more with less. Because my fear for the four-day work week is that you're still going to hit all the deliverables. I don't care how you do it. But, you have less time. but now you have less time. So like that doesn't work. We've seen it not work in education. So I don't want that same thing to happen in the workforce. Mm. Understandable. So, uh, so if, if the task 
for a four-day work week is supposed to be less, then would the salary be expected to be less? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, a that, lot that, of very <laughs> difficult questions today. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think actually some the younger generation, we are seeing a trend where they are willing oh, to yes. accept less. And money isn't as much as my generation. Like, wow, more money will do more. How high? I will jump how high, you know? Like now the, the younger generation does seem to want that flexibility and, and say that, you know what? I don't need to have a big house. I don't need to buy a car. It's not like the five C's, the status symbols that we all, like my generation all must have this, 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 this. I think in a way, from what I can see, the younger generation is more about experiences and values and meaning and purpose than it is about just like material. Money. Yeah. That's so nice though. Yeah, totally. Like I've never felt that way, but it would be nice to <laughs> be in, a, a, yeah. in such a position. Yeah. It's actually a very nice outlook on life. The CEO of Sanofi was, uh, I was just reading an article where he was talking about how he asked a young employee in his company, like, what's your dream job? And the young guy said, I don't dream of jobs. Oh, no. Oh. You know, I have... I have a dream, but my dream is nothing related to a job. Kind yeah. of... My dreams are bigger than just this small fraction of my life. Wow. And during my time, it was like, dream job, dream yeah, job. Yeah, your yeah, life yeah. is your job. Even your work my time. Your whatever, you know. But now I'm like so blown away. Old. Yeah, because you I... You can feel the generation Yeah, I'm starting get, to feel right? old. <laughs> I can't relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what is it for if, if, I'm, if I'm like killing myself? I think COVID in a way, there's this term called post-traumatic growth where research has shown that after big like um, traumas, like wars or hurricanes and disasters, right? There is a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth that people go through whereby after the disaster, they start actually evaluating what is the meaning of my life? What is it all for? Maybe they've seen relatives being lost. Maybe they've seen people die. Maybe it puts things in perspective. And they actually, post-traumatic growth is characterized by people being more willing to make big decisions because they're shaken out of their inertia. Yeah. And secondly, also they're starting to like use this time as an audit. What do I really care about? What really matters to me? And this whole COVID has been a reawakening for many people. I think not just young, but so also like people across all generations. And I think for us Singaporeans, we're still like a little bit behind. Like great resonation wise, everyone was resigning all around the world. And then people in Singapore, no lah, doesn't apply to us. But I was like, you wait. Because Singaporeans are the type that they want to resign, but they will wait. Scared. They're scared. They will yeah. think, they will think, they will think, they will self-doubt, they will make we plans. We're always a few months behind. Yeah, yeah. we are very, very behind. <laughs> but I think I've seen it as much here as in the rest of the world. We are all going through this collective soul searching and try to figure out that in terms of this big portfolio called life, how much of it should work really occupy? And is work just my job? Or maybe work is a portfolio of interests, like being a YouTuber and having a job and trading crypto and this and that, and all these things are work, you know, as well. So we're kind of like uh, going through this really interesting paradigm shift where, you know, the future of work is going to look nothing like the what definition it's of work yeah. is no longer just your job. The yeah. definition of work yeah. is also like your passion projects, yes. is your various hobbies yes. and things like that also equate to what yeah. we now call work. And your creative pursuits and the content you put out, everything is mm. like, yeah. 
Cool. That's all. That's, that's all. A, that's all that's a very powerful have, yeah. statement to end off. Like <laughs> now, it's like the next podcast should be what is work. Now I'm just kidding. I I, I, I could go on, but yeah. uh, I'm, we're gonna stop here. Yes. Thank you so much. It was yes. supposed to be 20 minutes, but I feel like I could talk to you all day because yeah. you're yeah. So it's insightful. so insightful. Uh, There's yeah. really so much that we have learned from today. I'm sure there are things that we can find yeah. in your book, but mm-hmm. you know, like really getting like face value advice and information is a whole other level. Yeah. It's also curious. A lot of stuff she said life. really hits home. Yeah. Like whatever she said, I'm like, I went through this. I'm like, that's, that <laughs> this makes so much sense. I had that post-traumatic what growth? Growth. Yeah. 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 Damn. Oh yeah, because you quit after yeah, COVID. Yeah, because I quit after COVID. Yeah. And like, I started re-evaluating my life and all that. <laughs> Epiphany. A crisis gives you permission to do a lot of things. Yeah, right. You're and right. And when you're we right. go through big crises, whether it's a divorce or a death in the family or whatever, it's like, you know, the Greeks had two words for time, kairos and kronos. Kronos was just second after second, minute after minute, that kind of clock time. But this other word they had for time, time called kairos was God's time. It used it was used to define the those crucial moments in your life where all the doors swing open, and life your time hence suspended in that moment. And in that moment, you're called to make a choice: which of these hundred doors are you going to step through? And I, you know, these are you know what we call kairos times. There are times where we are now called to actually uh, decide not just what we want to do, but who do we want to be? That's mm. the more important question. When I saw yeah. your TikToks, I, I knew you were intelligent. I thought you were intelligent, but like having conversations with you in real life, like, not, like just, wow. not just 30 minute TikToks, you know, it's like it can go on and on. So yeah, if you guys want to look for Crystal, uh, we'll leave her TikToks and Instagram in the description And YouTube below. channel now. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. Yes. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, cool. It was kind of dormant for a while, but I reinvigorated it uh, and I'm going to be more disciplined about it. Yeah. And of course, do check out the book that she and her husband, uh, Dr. Gregor Lim Langer, wrote, uh, Deep Human, Practical yes. Super Skills for a Future of Success. Yay, thank <laughs> you. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. Thank you. This was so much fun. It's so insightful. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my God, very Pisces. No, <laughs> it's okay. Like, like oh, okay. take and it. And oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my brain uh, is still. All right. So that's all we have for this podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys have any more questions for Crystal, let us know in the comment section down below and maybe we'll bring her back for session two. Right? <laughs> or bring your husband bring as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Who's <laughs> <laughs> <was> a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's been feeding me all the answers in my left. <laughs> <laughs>